Hello everyone and welcome back once again to another edition, in fact, this is the 8th edition of the Pro Wrestling Retrospect Podcast. I am your host, David Anderson, and I am joined this week as I am each and every week that we sit down to record this podcast. I'm sitting across the desk from my oldest son, my favorite son, my only son, the boy wonder himself, Owen Ray Anderson the Third Esquire. Okay, it's Owen. Owen, what's happening? Well, first of all, you gave away my middle name. Not cool, but I'm doing all right. What about you? What do I say every week when you ask me the same question? You're doing awful. Nope, that's not what I say. I don't remember what you say. I'm living the dream. Oh, you're living the dream. Okay. I always forget. Just as I am each and every week, living the dream. I'm busy, man, so I I got a lot of things to keep in my head, so... I'll let it slide. But anyway, welcome again back to our humble abode. We are so thankful for your support. Thankful for you joining us here once again. If you're listening to this podcast, I presume that you have already subscribed to this podcast. But in the off chance that you haven't, you can subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, or wherever fine podcasts are consumed. You should also be following us on social media. Make sure you follow the podcast across social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all at PWRetrospectPod. You should definitely be following Owen on social media on Twitter and Instagram at GiveMe underscore M-T-N-D-E-W. If you're really bored and feel like you have to follow someone else, I guess you could give me a follow. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at David C. Anderson. And with all the shilling out of the way, let's get to this week's edition of the Collector's Corner with our good buddy, Kyle Peterson. All right, we are joined here as we are most weeks on the Pro Wrestling Retrospect podcast by our old buddy, the Iowa Pizza King himself, Kyle Peterson. Kyle, what's happening? Oh, you know, just living that dream every day. You're stealing my line. That's what I say at the beginning of every show, but that's oh. all right. Well, we'll live the dream then. We're living it together. Well, okay, that's another topic for another conversation. Anyway, um, yeah, so we're here to talk a little collector's corner. Uh, as always, you are out and about, whether it's here in the Des Moines metro area or across the Midwest as your travels take you. So let's jump right into it. Kyle. What did you find in the stores this week? Well, it was a team effort this week. And those that check out my YouTube channel, Kyle Peterson YouTube, if you haven't subscribed, what are you waiting for? Uh, This week, our old pal, the outlaw, Waylon Jennings, came through with the hot tag. Uh, I was shocked. I think it was Monday, Monday or Tuesday of this week. And I got the message from old Waylon, hey, don't you need these? And what he had at Target in Cedar Falls was one of the first sightings in the country of the brand-new Legends Elite Target exclusive with my all-time favorite Ultimate Warrior in that set, along with Jake the Snake, Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff, and uh, Eddie Guerrero in that set. So uh, I couldn't have uh, gave him a thumbs up and get me those uh, faster if I tried. And uh, met Waylon and Ames later that afternoon and put the unboxing video up that night in record time. So... 
Uh, I believe I had the first time boxing video of those legends, I believe. So a nice little coup. But that was uh, a story for the ages, that's for sure. Yeah, you definitely were one of the first ones to get something documented on YouTube because I was going through your channel, I think it was last night, and just looking at some things. And, of course, it for me, it filters from newest. And you were several hundred. I mean, I don't mean like 150. I mean, several hundred views deep into that. So I, I will... I'll back up your claim that you were one of, if not the first person to get something documented on YouTube in terms of an unboxing for those. Yeah, I think I was the first one to do the whole set, at least. I think there might have been a couple of Eddies or and a Paul Orndorff out there, but that was it that I could find. But nice to uh, be first for once. <laughs> so, but yeah, it was, uh, you know, that Ultimate Warrior figure is just probably, you know, I collect a ton of different figures from all different lines. And that Ultimate Warrior is something special. Um for me, at least. I mean, I I don't know. It was quite the unboxing video. I absolutely love that figure so much. My plan is to get four of them. So the hunt continues, but at least I got one. So we'll see what happens. So inevitably, as we text back and forth, as we do, you know, every day throughout the week, um, you gave me a, a little tip that you've decided that you're going to start collecting a new line because you need to collect a new line. <laughs> like some people need another hole in the head, but you're a glutton for punishment. So let us all know what is the new line that Kyle Peterson has decided he has to collect. Well, I'm jumping, but I'm not jumping all in. You know, usually I'm all in. And right now I'm saying I'm not all in. Hopefully it stays that way. I think it will. But uh, it's called Marvel Select, Diamond Select. So for those that don't know, everybody usually knows the Marvel Legend figures that you can get at Walmart, Target, wherever. But there's also another line called Marvel Select, and they are only sold in comic book shops, hobby shops, and online. Uh, also sold at the Disney store, if you have a Disney store by you. Um, they're very similar to Marvel Legends, usually scale a little bit taller. Um, but I've decided, you know, I bought some about 10 years ago, and I did not like the, I had a Captain America and a Spider-Man. I didn't like them. I sold them, got rid of them. But they have some of the bigger figures. And those that know me know I love face-painted wrestlers. I love big figures. And that's what these are. So these bigger figures scale exceptionally well with the Marvel Legends. So that is my plan. I'm going to get a bunch of these big figures I've been eyeing forever. I happened to go to a comic book store this week. And I saw it in the flesh. And it just one of those things. I said, oh, here we go. I got to get this. And then that just snowballs. And I got to get all the other big figures. So I made a run up to... Uh, Mayhem collectibles up in Ames, and I cleaned them out of a bunch of them. And, whoa, they had some hot deals there. Compared to eBay prices, um, if anybody remembers the Thor movie and the Destroyer villain, um, they had him there for $21. He's about $60 on eBay. So there was some really good deals to be had. So I cleaned up on a bunch of those this week. Um, almost done with the ones I want. Just a few more to get. So it, it's a quick collection, and then I'll keep my eyes to the future, whatever big ones they release that I may or may not need but went down that road this week <laughs> and i'd be remiss if i didn't ask how many doll houses did you buy this week <laughs> uh, zero doll houses this week uh, shockingly enough i had my eyes on a couple but i couldn't couldn't quite pull the trigger no i think my doll houses are done i got two that i still got to work on um I got some big, it's not going to be as easy. The last one wasn't the easiest. These two are going to be a lot harder. So 
Uh, I got to get these done first, but I don't know if I got any room for any more. And I got two uh, younger daughters that are, you know, eyeing me every single day playing with them right now. So <laughs> it's tough to take them out of their hands. One thing that I did want to make sure that we talked about was, you know, one of one of the mottos and the creeds that you live by, hashtag got to get a deal. And boy, uh, Target's got a deal going on right now. If you're a, a toy buyer, a toy collector, and this is actually a deal that I took advantage of this week but let everyone know what what the deal is that target has going on right now and target had this deal maybe three or four times last year uh this year they got the deal out earlier so i i assume this will happen maybe another three or four times by christmas but uh it's spend fifty dollars on toys get ten dollars off or spend a hundred get twenty five dollars off now that is the definition of got to get a deal. That's why I, David knows I keep saying, Oh, I got to find that new Marvel Legends set this week. I got to get the new Ninja Turtles. I got hoping to find everything this week so I can just take advantage of that deal. Uh, love to get 25 bucks off 100 and, and get all these sets done and save some serious money. Um, but time is running out on this one. So we'll see. I got, you know, just two days or uh, really one day, Saturday, I guess. Um, but I do think this uh, deal will happen again, but it's a good one. It's one to definitely take advantage of. And it's also really good to take advantage of uh, for the holidays, of course, uh, if you're buying for kids out there. Uh, might as well get a deal if you can. Yeah, absolutely. I, I took advantage of it. Uh, I was on the fence with these NECA Back to the Future figures. Um, Back to the Future the trilogy, one of my favorite series of movies of all time. And these figures came out, and I was kind of on the fence, had a chance to get them, didn't grab them. And then, as figure fate would have it, I was in the store, and sure enough, the first two figures uh, of the series were there. So you had um, Rocker, Marty, and then we had um, Back to the Future 2, Marty, and then the newest one, the Target exclusive, the bio-suit Marty the, the co- with the comic book box, Tales from whatever it is. Um I was like, oh, okay, this is figure fate. I gotta, <laughs> I gotta pull the trigger. And you know, the figures are uh, twenty-seven to twenty-nine dollars a piece. And I'm standing there and I'm trying to do the math, thinking, well, you know, I'm, I'm gonna save ten dollars. Okay, that's not bad. Well, right there on the shelf was the, the full metal die cast one eighteenth or whatever the scale is. I don't know. I'd have to look. Uh, replica of the DeLorean just sitting there. They have a smaller version and then they have this larger version. And I started doing the ahead and I have a red card. So if you, if you use the target red card, you can save another 5%. So the wheel starts spinning and it's like, okay, I, I got to take advantage of this deal. So I, you know, I go up and I check out and I scan everything and I scan my coupon and the deal and pay with my red card and, you know, walk out of the store and I look at my receipt and I got, you know, three of the figures and the car, basically by by buying the car, I got one of the figures for free, just based on the savings. Then with the red yep. card, I ended up saving, you know, close to $30. So it, it adds up quickly. And, you know, $100, yeah, $100 is $100. It's a lot of money. Yeah. But when you're, you're buying toys, action figures, collectibles, whatever the case may be, if you can save $25 or 25%, I mean, that's, yep. that's, that's like getting a figure for free. Yep. That's like that Target red card. I mean, that's one of the best deals out there. You're spending money at Target anyways. Why not save 5%? I mean, I think you're a fool if you go to Target all the time, if you don't have that. Why wouldn't you? Absolutely. And they've actually, they've changed the red card. So before it was just, it was a Target brand Mm -hmm. 
you know, card. It was a store card. You can only use a target. And earlier this year, they switched it. And so now it's a, it's a full-fledged MasterCard. They still have just the target store card if you want that. But um, mine was converted to a, a full MasterCard. So I can use the card where I only use yep. it at target. But it's just it's another nice um, utility belt to have. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's it's a no-brainer for me. I, I hate seeing uh, the total saved every single month on the red card because I, I, I do the quick math and say, oh, my gosh, we spent how much at Target this month? But it's worth it. Definitely. So, like I said, the, the deal ends Saturday, so make sure you get out to your local Target, do some hunting, see what you can find. Uh, Kyle, what do we have coming up on the YouTube channel this week? Oh, boy. Well, let's see. Um well, hopefully, I'm hoping some of those Marvel Selects for sure. I'll definitely be unboxing those. But I also got an order in from Ringside Collectibles uh, just today. So uh, we'll have those uh, being unboxed. Some of the new Survivor Series line, the new Macho Man and Andre ring cart figures. Uh, so I'll have those on top of the usual figure hunt videos. I also had my wife film a video about how to put a Detolf display cabinet together. So that should be a good one. Uh, and then, of course, all the weekly purchases and everything else on there that you know to expect. And again, how do people find you on the YouTube? It would be uh, just search old Kyle Peterson or Kyle Peterson 1980. You can't miss me. If you not are not. The the, yeah, you're not the wilderness guy. <laughs> yep. Yep. The other guy. The other guy. You're, you're the guy that hunts in the wild, but for figures, not for animals. Exactly. Perfect. And where can folks find you on Twitter and Instagram? At SirPaul64 on Twitter, and then the underscore Kyle underscore Peterson on Instagram. There it is. Well, again, Kyle, thanks so much for spending a few minutes with us here this week on the Collector's Corner, and uh, let's do it again next week. There you go. Sounds like a plan. Always a pleasure to talk to our good buddy, the Iowa Pizza King himself, Kyle Peterson. Make sure you're checking out what he's doing on his YouTube channel, across the world of action figure collectibles. Never a dull moment with the Pizza King. And now that we've taken care of that piece of business, let's move on to the main event of the evening. Our retrospective review of one of my favorite WCW pay-per-views. This is WCW Halloween Havoc 1994. Now, Owen... When I tasked you with watching the show, had you previously seen Halloween Havoc 1994? Um, no, I have not seen the whole show. Now I have, but I think I saw the main event a few years ago because I think you told me about it, and I was like, I gotta check that out because I mean, you know, the main event was probably the best part of the whole show. So, live you to give you a little peek behind the curtain. Uh, growing up, I was am forever will be a huge WCW fan. And the town that I lived in, the local video store, actually had WCW Halloween Havoc 1994, the home video. So I rented this thing several times and watched this thing several times. So this is one of my favorite shows. Now, having said that, I might have gone back and watched this on the network once before, before having to sit down and watch it to do the review for our show. The home video version 
and what I believe to be the pay-per-view version that's on the network are completely different, and in a good way, because the pay-per-view version gives you a lot more things that the home video version cut out. And I guess there is really no rhyme or reason as to which version WWE decides to upload to the network. I don't know if it's just things that are readily available or condition issues. I'm not sure. But when I sat down to watch this and saw that this was the actual pay-per-view edition, that really made me happy because so many times back in the day, uh, WCW and less to a lesser extent the WWF, they would cut some things out of the home video release and sometimes they would try to make up for it by sliding in, you know, home video exclusives, but just wasn't the same. I, I'm someone that I want to watch the authentic pay-per-view that aired when it happened back in 1994. Yeah, I'm, I'm the exact same way. I want to see what exactly happened, not this edited version. So I'm with you. Well, let's get into it. So again, this is WCW Halloween Havoc 1994. This event took place on Saturday, October 23rd, 1994 from the Joe Louis Arena in Detroit, Michigan. They announced an attendance of 14,000 with just about 8,500 or 8,600 paid. So not a sellout in terms of selling tickets, but a sellout, and I'm using air quotes, in terms of people in the building. The show opens with a video package recapping the feud between the WCW heavyweight champion of the world, Hulk Hogan, and the 11-time champion, Nature Boy, Ric Flair. It's career versus career inside a steel cage tonight at the Joe. We come inside the arena with Tony Schiavone welcoming us to the Joe Louis Arena as the pyro is going off in the background. We go to a stand-up shot at the broadcast booth with Tony, Bobby the Brain Heenan, and Mean Gene Okerlund. They're running down some notable events and pro athletes from Detroit. Mean Gene with that hard sell for the WCW hotline at 1-900-909-9900. Remember, kids... Get your parents' permission before calling. Some jabron named Graham Brown does a subpar rendition of our national anthem. Oh, you don't know who Graham Brown is? Neither do I. The best part of the segment was the pyro when it was over. That takes us into our first contest of the evening, and this is going to be for the WCW World Television title. The Honky Tonk Man here is the challenger taking on the World Television Champion Johnny B. Bad. Honky making his way to the ring, wearing that classic Honky Tonk Man blue jumpsuit, which is my personal favorite. I always thought it was weird seeing Honky in WCW. I have no idea why, but it always seemed strange to me that he was there. He didn't end up staying in WCW for very long, but we'll get into all that and how that ended whenever we eventually end up reviewing Starcade 1994. Honky Tonk Man has an absolutely terrible theme song here. I obviously understand that he couldn't use his classic WWF theme song, but this Honky Tonk Baby song just isn't going to cut it. The world television champion Johnny B. Bad is out next. Bad sporting a full sequin cape with pyro shooting out from his hands. Now that, Owen, is a babyface entrance. Bad is sporting the fake fangs here for the Halloween effect. As Bad makes his way to the ring, we see an older woman in the front row with the same hairstyle she had back in 1964, proudly holding her homemade Johnny B. Bad sign and belting out this theme song with such enthusiasm. Johnny gets in the ring and a ringside attendant hands him the Bad Blaster. For those who may not be aware, the Bad Blaster was the equivalent of a CO2-powered t-shirt cannon, except Bad wasn't shooting t-shirts at the crowd, he was shooting confetti and streamers. Bad pulling out all the stops here for Halloween Havoc as after he fired the Bad Blaster in one corner, 
He grabs another bad blaster and shot more confetti and streamers on the opposite side of the ringside area. Before referee Nick Patrick can do the championship belt presentation before the bell rings, the honky-tonk man grabs the belt from the referee and exclaims, I need a belt! Johnny B. Bad counters by screaming, I'm a bad man! As Bad and Honky begin to mix it up, Bad goes for the one thing that is guaranteed to irate his challenger, he goes for the honky-tonk man's hair. We then go to a backstage shot of Mike Tanay interviewing Sting on the WCW hotline. Sting is in street clothes, so it's pretty much a foregone conclusion that he's not wrestling on the show tonight. As this match continues, we get a shot of Muhammad Ali sitting in the front row. Oh, and it's crazy that nine years prior, Muhammad Ali was a special guest referee in the main event of the very first WrestleMania, and now here in 1994... Ten years after announcing that he had been diagnosed with Parkinson's disease, it was just sad to see what the disease had done to the greatest. The story of this match was Honky continuously trying to hit the shake, rattle, and roll with bad countering it each time. This match, this match ends up going to the 10-minute time limit draw. Very weak start to kick off the pay-per-view in my opinion. I'm not opposed to a title match going to a draw, but with the decision to start the show without something to react to in the opening contest... Seems like it really took the energy out of the crowd here since there wasn't anything for them to react to when the match ended. Post-match saw Honky attack Johnny B. Bad from behind. Bad nails Honky with a series of fists. Johnny B. Bad fires Honky into the ropes. But old HTM grabs the ropes and slides out of the ring before Bad can get any more payback on him. Yeah, that's the problem when you do like a, a title match to open the show and then you just have it go to the time limit draw because then you're like, well... Okay, you know, he retains. All right, I mean, that's fine. But I would agree with you. It was weird to see Honky Tonk Man uh, in the WCW. It just, it, it was so weird because you're like, wait, he's in the WCW? So it's just very strange. We then go back to the broadcast booth with Tony Schiavone and Bobby the Brain Heenan. Tony hypes the upcoming video package we're about to see featuring Hulk Hogan and Ric Flair. The video shows the events from the Clash of the Champions in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, back in August, when the masked man nailed Hogan in the knee with a metal pipe as Hogan was making his entrance. The Hulkster is stretchered and carted over to a local medical facility. That still couldn't stop the champion from facing Flair in the main event as Hogan, quote, walked back to the arena from the hospital, end quote. The masked man makes his return in the Hogan-Flair match by tossing Jimmy Hart out to the floor as he and Flair go to work on Hogan's injured left knee. The footage then takes us to WCW Main Event Live on October 9th when Hogan and Dave Sullivan are tagging up to face Flair and the Masked Man. After Hogan hits the leg drop of Doom on the Masked Man, but instead of going for the cover, Hogan signals to the crowd that he's going for the mask. As soon as he has the Masked Man where he wants him, a second Masked Man comes to ringside to help Flair. We then see footage shot in Chicago of the special guest referee Mr. T leaving Michael Jordan's steakhouse with none other than... Ric Flair. Is Mr. T on the take? Back in the arena, we go to another stand-up shot with Tony and Bobby, recapping this Hogan-Flair package. Bobby says he's been worried about Flair for nothing. Hogan has a bad knee, to which Bobby hypothesizes that since Hogan is injured, Flair's a guaranteed winner. Next match is for the WCW World Tag Team Championship. The challengers, the team of Pretty Wonderful, Pretty Paul Roma, and Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff, Take on the tag team champions, the team of Stars and Stripes, the Patriot, and Marcus Alexander, not quite Buff Bagwell. Funny one-liner from Heenan during this match. Heenan says, I figured out who the Patriot is. He's from Washington, D.C. It's Al Gore. I laughed way too hard at that terrible joke. The Patriot Del Welks was one of my favorites from the mid-90s. My favorite run of his was in the WWF in the summer of 1997. 
He showed up and was immediately placed in the middle of the hottest storyline, the USA versus Canada feud featuring the Hart Foundation. Wilkes would have a couple of good matches with Bret Hart on Raw and pay-per-view. Unfortunately, Wilkes' run in the WWF wouldn't last long due to injury and substance abuse issues and would actually be out of the spotlight by the end of 1997. Paul Roma is a very polarizing character amongst wrestling fans. Most fans completely crap on him because he was placed in the Four Horsemen at the last minute in 1993 when WCW couldn't make a deal with Tully Blanchard to compete, excuse me, to complete the Horseman reunion that WCW had advertised for weeks, by the way. Was Roma ever on the level of Ric Flair or Arn Anderson? Of course not. Was he a guy with a good look and capable of having a good match? Absolutely. Mr. Wonderful's career speaks for itself and Bagwell, well, we could do an entire retrospective review on that guy. This was a fine tag team match, nothing spectacular, which saw Pretty Wonderful regain the world tag team titles in 13 minutes and 47 seconds, when Roma, as the illegal man, hit the top rope elbow drop on Bagwell behind the referee's back, who was trying to get the Patriot out of the ring, allowing Orndorff to make the cover and get the pin. I did notice, Owen, that the crowd popped for the heels getting the win and the tag titles. Hmm. What were your thoughts on this match? You have no thoughts on this match. Okay. Next, we go backstage to Mean Gene Okerlund, who's standing by with Sensuous Sherry and the 11 time WCW Heavyweight Champion of the World, the Nature Boy Ric Flair. Flair wearing the black robe with silver and white trim. This is my favorite Flair robe of them all. Flair says that he's planning the biggest victory celebration of all time after tonight, since Hulk Hogan will no longer be in WCW. Flair says two are going to walk in, one walks out. I'm summarizing here, but this was a really good promo from Flair and Sherry to put over that tonight will be the end of the road for one of these men's careers. Spoiler. No, it won't. We go back to the arena with Tony and Bobby recapping again the importance of tonight's main event. They use this as a segue into the hype package for for Kevin Sullivan versus his brother, the number one Hulkamaniac, Dave Sullivan. So we've got brother versus brother, Kevin Sullivan and Dave Sullivan. Okay. So Dave Sullivan came into WCW a year prior as this wild, maniacal, unpredictable character, the Equalizer. He worked near the top of the card as a heel. He was challenging Sting, the British Bulldog, and most of the other main event babyface talent. A year later, he's now magically transformed into Kevin Sullivan's slow-witted brother who's portrayed as being borderline mentally challenged and basically a comedy goof character. We haven't talked about Dave's new theme song, I Want to Be a Hulkamaniac, which was a ripoff of the Owen Hart WWF theme song. I guess since Jimmy Hart wrote Owen's song, they had artistic license to do what they want. I don't know. Thankfully, the match was kept short and didn't accomplish what it set out to do, as people were audibly booing Dave, the babyface, when he was on offense. Dave wins by count out in 5 minutes and 17 seconds, after Kevin posts Dave into the ring post on the outside, which causes Dave to get right back into the ring, beating the 10 count. Yikes. Yeah, I don't, to be honest, I didn't even know who David Sullivan was. Like, I like I know who Kevin Sullivan is, because I've seen him in WCW plenty of times. But yeah, like you mentioned, he what Dave Sullivan was in the WWF. I have no memory of that whatsoever. So. No, he was in WCW the year prior. What? Another stand-up with Tony and Bobby, Bobby blaming Hulk Hogan for all of the family strife with the Sullivans. They then throw to a hype video for Dustin Rose versus Arn Anderson. So up next we have the Enforcer Arn Anderson with Colonel Robert Parker and Ming 
taking on the natural Dustin Rhodes. These are two of the best workers from their respective generations locking up here. I've been watching a lot of mid-90s WCW recently, and Arn Anderson is my new favorite wrestler in 2020. This was billed as a grudge match, as over the summer, Dustin was looking for a tag team partner to help him fend off Terry Funk and Bunkhouse Buck. Dustin recruited Arn to watch his back. Arn agrees. We go to Bash at the Beach for a big tag match, and wouldn't you know it, Arn swerved Dustin. Arn turned on Dustin during the match, breaking Dustin's arm to set up this feud. This was a very solid match, as you would expect with these two. Dustin gets the win with a roll-up in 9 minutes and 50 seconds and gets a beatdown from Arn post-match for his troubles. Owen, what would you think of this? I thought it was a really good match. You know, you have Arn and Dustin who are some of the greatest workers of all time. So I, I thought it was a great match. One of the best matches on the show. It's interesting because here in 1994, so Dustin has been in WCW for a little about three, three and a half years and is really having good matches. You know, he's been the United States champion. He's been the television champion. He's been a tag team champion. I'm sure there's a lot of people that say, well, that's just because he's Dusty's kid. Dusty had the book at times in WCW. But if you just go back over Dustin Rhodes' career, I mean, certainly The Natural, then he went to the WWF and completely reinvented himself as Goldust, back to WCW, back to WWF, to TNA, back to WWE, to the Indies, WWE, now in AEW, I mean, Dustin Rhodes has had a spectacular career and is probably one of the most underrated wrestlers of this generation and maybe even all time just because of who his father is. Oh, yeah, absolutely. We then go backstage to Mean Gene Okerlund, who's with the brother Brutai, the mouth of the South Jimmy Hart, and the reigning WCW heavyweight champion Hulk Hogan. The Hulkster talks about the last time he was in Detroit slamming Andre the Giant and that Flair will find out that there's only room for one of them in WCW, brother. Mean Gene questions where Mr. T's head is. Will he be an impartial referee? Hogan said that he cornered Mr. T and T said he'll be an impartial referee, so I guess that's that. Hogan says he's discussed his entire game plan with the big brother and Jimmy Hart and what is Ric Flair going to do when the Hulkster retires you? We come back to Tony and Bobby on camera. Bobby says Hogan is making so many excuses because he's scared and he knows his career is ending tonight. We then get a hype package for Hacksaw Jim Duggan and Stunning Steve Austin. That takes us to our next match for the WCW United States Heavyweight Champion, the challenger, Stunning Steve Austin, taking on the United States Champion, Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Big pop here for Hacksaw's entrance. This era of stunning Steve Austin and WCW post-Hollywood Blondes was tremendous. He would put different phrases on the back of his trunks. In his previous feud with Ricky Steamboat, he would put Dragon Slayer. For this match here, he had U.S. Champ sewn on the back of his trunks. Hacksaw Jim Duggan will never be accused of being a great technical wrestler, but he did the best job so far on this show of getting the crowd just really hyped and worked up and vocal during their match. This might have been the best non-Mid-South wrestling match I've ever seen Hacksaw have until the finish. Stunning Steve Austin backdrops Hacksaw Jim Duggan over the top rope, which according to the wrestling rulebook is grounds for a disqualification, but it's never called by the referee. Well, except here, of course. Hacksaw wins by DQ and retains the U.S. title in 8 minutes and 2 seconds. Oh, and this was a good, fun match for sure until the finish. Yep, I completely agree. And it's it's fun to go back because, you know, 
we're both big Stone Cold fans, so it's it's fun to go back and kind of be like, wow, like that's that's Stone Cold, but he's he's stunning Steve Austin. But yeah, I, I think it was a fun match. Next, we have Mean Gene standing by in front of the video display near the entranceway. Again, another hard sell for that wrestling hotline. 1-900-909-9900. Kids, get your parents' permission before calling. Mean Gene then introduces Sting, who's dressed in a tux for this occasion. Sting says he's here to sit ringside to watch whoever wins the main event lead wrestling on into the 90s. Next, it's a video package for the Guardian Angel versus Vader. Vader is accompanied to the ring by Harley Race. There are legit members of the Guardian Angels here in attendance. In case you aren't aware of the Guardian Angels, they're a network of citizens whose goal is to ensure the safety of citizens in public places. The group was actually formed in New York City in the 1970s when the city was just completely out of control, and they've since spread their network worldwide. That quick explanation was more interesting than this match. Angel comes out first to literally zero reaction, then proceeds to attack Harley Race, who hasn't even interfered. Throughout the match, Angel just kept beating on Harley Race, which makes no sense because Race was the heel manager who wasn't even interfering in the match. Even when Race had the opportunity to attack the Guardian Angel, he didn't. The psychology or lack thereof was definitely off during this match. The finish saw, of course, the Guardian Angel going after Harley Race. The Guardian Angel suplexes Harley Race into the ring while Vader simultaneously splashes the Guardian Angel to get the pin in 8 minutes and 17 seconds. It was interesting. I'll, uh, I'll just leave it at that. Mean Gene with one more hard sell for the hotline. You know the number. Gene then introduces boxing great Thomas the Hitman Hearns, who is a Detroit native. Hearns says he can't wait to see who's going to win this match. This was a most forgettable segment. Another video package for our next match, a tag team match. Terry Funk and Bunkhouse Buck with Colonel Robert Parker and Ming taking on the Nasty Boys. Nobbs is carrying Beavis and Butthead masks while Sags is carrying a huge carved pumpkin. You know what that means. Real talk here. The Nasty Boys are low-key one of my favorite tag teams in WCW. I enjoyed their WCW run much more than their WWF run. This was a classic brawling style of a tag team match. The finish saw Ming accidentally hit Terry Funk, which allowed Sags to then pile drive Funk onto the Jack-O-Lantern for the win in 7 minutes and 56 seconds. Yeah, that's the problem with matches with Terry Funk. They're just going to be brawling matches. They're not going to really be more like a technical or a, more of a fun match. It's just going to be brawling, but that's kind of the name for Terry Funk. So, Yeah, definitely at that stage in his career, you know, Funk definitely utilized on the brawling. Uh, certainly in his younger days, you know, when he was NWA champion, and certainly he was a brawler then too, but, you know, definitely once you got into the late 80s, through the 90s and even the 2000s when he was still working. Yep, it was definitely as many gimmicks and mm-hmm. and uh, brawling and, and things of that nature. So just prior to our main event, we have Mean Gene in the ring with a special presentation. We've got good old Bill Bush from the Turner Organization here presenting a check to Muhammad Ali's foundation, as well as Eric Bischoff presenting the greatest with a plaque on behalf of Turner Broadcasting and WCW. We go back to Tony and Bobby. Tony predicts that he thinks Hulk Hogan will prevail tonight. This sends the brain into a rage with a pro-flair promo. Bobby harping on individual athletes and teams not even winning 11 championships. Bobby then proclaims the Yankees haven't even won 11 titles. That's factually incorrect, Bobby. The Yankees had actually won 22 world championships by 1994. 
I get what the brain is saying. So that takes us to our main event, a steel cage match, career versus career for the WCW World Heavyweight title. The challenger, the nature boy, Ric Flair, was Sensuous Sherry, taking on the WCW World Heavyweight Champion, Hulk Hogan, accompanied by Brother Brutai and Jimmy Hart. And of course, our special guest referee is Mr. T. Michael Buffer ring introductions for pro wrestling were still a big deal in 1994, but once Bischoff put Buffer on retainer for every Monday night for Nitro, it definitely lost the luster real fast. Mr. T is out first wearing a Detroit Tigers baseball cap and a Detroit Red Wings jacket. So much for being loyal to Chicago. Ric Flair and Sherry are out next. Even even in his mid-40s here, Ric Flair just looks, walks, and carries himself like a legendary superstar. There's actually audible cheers here for the Nature Boy. Big babyface reaction for Hogan accompanied by Brother Brutai and Jimmy Hart. We got full pyro for the champion. This match really does have a big fight feel, or as much as you can have for one in 1994. As the cage lowers, a huge pyro display goes off in and around the ring and cage, so much that it visibly pisses Ric Flair off. Ten seconds into the match, Mr. T already breaking the rule that the referee should never have his back to the camera by standing literally in the middle of the ring with his back to the camera. Hogan and T with an early exchange with Mr. T shoving the Hulkster when Hogan got in T's face. Flair spent a good part of the match working over that injured knee Hogan had been dealing with in storyline for the past few months. Tony says that when Flair made his entrance, he held up the four fingers as a tribute to the legendary four horsemen. Bobby responds, and when Hogan came out, I held up one finger. Classic brain. Typical Hogan-Flair match here. They're playing all the hits, the figure four, the, fair, the Flair face first bump, all of your favorites. Mr. T gets bumped and Flair then proceeds to stomp him. I guess it's safe to say that Mr. T isn't going to favor Ric Flair in this match, huh? As Mr. T is down, Sherry begins to climb the side of the cage. Jimmy Hart climbs up the side of the cage and tries to pull Sherry off the cage, but only successfully pulls her skirt off and Sherry is left hanging on the side of the cage with no bottoms on. Calm down, folks. She had underwear on. Sherry drops off the side of the cage and shoves Jimmy Hart into a cameraman, taking the mouth out. Sherry then proceeds to climb back up the side of the cage This prompts Sting, you remember Sting, he's been sitting at ringside, to leave his seat and to get involved. Sting climbs up the cage and grabs Sherry, preventing her from getting inside. As they descend back to the floor, the masked man climbs out from underneath the ring and nails Sting with a lead pipe. The masked man proceeds to beat on both Sting and Jimmy Hart on the outside. Sherry then climbs back up the cage, gets on top of the cage, leaps off the top of the cage to give a double axe handle to Hogan, which Hogan promptly no-sells. Flair gets the upper hand back on Hogan with Sherry now in the cage. Flair and Sherry then handcuff Mr. T to the ropes. The masked man is positioned on the side of the cage, holding that steel pipe down into the ring. Sherry and Flair ram Hogan headfirst into the pipe. Well, the masked man's job here must be done, so he's out of there. Hogan begins to hulk up after no selling a vertical suplex. Hogan takes out both Sherry and Flair. Hogan then hits the big boot and the leg drop of doom on Flair. Hogan wakes up Mr. T... Covers Flair to get the pin and the victory in 19 minutes and 25 seconds. There was a big pop for the pinfall. After the match, head of security Dopey Doug Dillinger unlocks Mr. T from the handcuffs so T can raise Hogan's hand as the winner. There's a nice photo op as Hogan, Mr. T, and Muhammad Ali share a moment at ringside when Hogan gets the belt from WCW Commissioner Nick Bockwinkel. It's a pay-per-view. Hogan is in the main event, so you know what that means. Hogan must pose. 
As Hogan is in full pose-down mode, we see the masked man running down the aisle carrying an even bigger lead pipe. As Hogan is posing, the masked man is getting into position, getting ready to nail Hogan with this pipe. Just as Hogan turns around, he manages to block the attack of the masked man, hitting him with three right hands. Remember, Owen, in wrestling, you always have to punch three times. He shoots the masked man into the ropes, but the masked man tries to escape. The Hulkster grabs him. He winds up, and he nails him with a right hand. Hogan then motions that he's going to unmask this masked man. Hogan proceeds to tear the mask off, and who can it be under the hood? None other than Brother Brute-Eye. Hogan gives this fantastic expression of shock and disgust when he sees that it's his best friend to the end under the mask. Five seconds after the mask comes off, Heenan is screaming, He's butchered a friendship! He's butchered a friendship! Which leads to Brute-Eye's new ring name, The Butcher. Kevin Sullivan jumps in the ring, and they have Hogan out number two to one. Tony then says the building is beginning to rumble like an avalanche as John Tenta, the former earthquake in the WWF, hits the ring and they begin to triple team the champion. Avalanche hits the power slam, drops a big elbow, and then hits the earthquake slash avalanche sit down splash on Hogan taking the Hulkster out. As the Butcher and Avalanche are celebrating, Sting runs down to the ring, climbs to the top rope, and delivers a flying body press onto Avalanche and the Butcher. Sting then grabs the world title as a weapon, which sends the heel scattering. Sting tries to help Hogan recover and get him back to the dressing room. After seeing replays of the match finish and the betrayal by the Butcher, we go back to a stand-up shot of Tony, Bobby, and Mean Gene Okerlund. Heenan is crying on camera at the prospect of Flair's career being over. Mean Gene is absolutely disgusted with Heenan and calling him a piece of... you know what. Tony recaps what an addict's been and signs off for Halloween Havoc 1994. So, Owen, what were your thoughts here in this main event, Hulk Hogan against Ric Flair in a cage? I really liked it, and, you know, I know you lived in that time. I'm sure back in 1994 it was a really big deal, you know, because you have Hulk Hogan and Ric Flair going in in a cage match in the main event. So I'm, I'm sure it was a big deal back then. But, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. I didn't think the show was bad at all. I know for people who listen to the show, I'm not – the biggest WCW fan, but I'll give this show three stars. We're going to do Meltzer deal now. so. Oh, boy. Oh boy. Um, no, I really enjoyed the main event. Uh, I enjoyed it in 1994. I enjoyed it in 2020. I mean, it's Hulk Hogan and Ric Flair. I mean, they're, they're going to have a good match. I, I did think it was interesting going back watching this that Hogan and Flair used the cage as a weapon a lot, you know, ramming each other's head into the cage, you know, rubbing their each of their foreheads back and forth across the the fence, but yet no blood. I think this is one of the only cage matches in Ric Flair's career where the cage was used as a weapon that much, and literally there was no blood. And of course, the shocking turn of Brother Brutai becoming the Butcher would lead us to one of the greatest Starcade main events of all time, ladies and gentlemen, Hulk Hogan and the Butcher. And that's going to wrap it up here for this week's retrospective review here on the Pro Wrestling Retrospect Podcast. We hope you have enjoyed our review of WCW Halloween Havoc 1994. I enjoyed going back and watching it. Owen pretty much enjoyed going back and watching it. I'm sure if you devote two hours and 45 minutes of your life to it, you'll probably find something in it that you like. But that was this week. Next Friday, Owen, let everyone know what we're going to be reviewing. Ooh, exciting for me. We are going to be covering TNA Bound for Glory 2005. I think if any of you wrestling fans know anything about TNA, 
Bound for Glory is like their WrestleMania pay-per-view. It's their biggest pay-per-view of the year. I'm super excited to cover it with you guys. I'm, it's a great show, and I gotta spoil, you were there, live. I was there live in Living Color. I did attend Bound for Glory 2005, so I'm sure once I go back and re-watch the show to take my notes, I'll have some flashes of things come back. Maybe I'll have some interesting things that I can remember from the show. Maybe I won't, but yes, definitely excited about next Friday, Bound for Glory 2005. Again, make sure you are subscribed to the podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, or wherever fine podcasts are consumed. Please make sure you're giving us a follow on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at PWRetrospectPod. Make sure you're following Owen at GiveMe underscore MTNDEW. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at David C. Anderson, A-N-D-E-R-S-E-N. And that's going to do it for us this week. As always, we thank you so very much for joining us. We thank you for your support, and we'll talk to you again next week.